There are two Sunday nights left in the month of December for me to be able to preach. I mean by that, that don't have something else. Next week we have the musical program, uh, the, the week after the, the 17th, which is the 24th, Christmas Eve. You know, we'll have the Christmas Eve service. So I've got two Sundays to bring to a close the Dear Paul series, and that's what I'm going to be doing this week and then two weeks from tonight. I'll be bringing it to a close. I have to tell you that riding back from Dallas, Texas, having two days to think while I was driving that thousand miles gave me a lot of time to think through some of the things that we've talked about over the last year. I want to begin by saying thank you. Thank you for letting me have a year in the book of 1 Corinthians and spending a year in the book of 1 Corinthians. Actually, in some ways, I felt like I've lived the book of 1 Corinthians, but I'm grateful for a church that loves his word and is willing to come back again and again and listen to his word over and over. And I hope that you've learned something out of the book over the time that we have spent in it. Uh, We're going to bring to a close in these two Sunday nights this study from 1 Corinthians 16. And as we do that, we're going to be talking tonight about the Lord's work and how to do the Lord's work. And I want to begin reading in verse 4. I'm going to read down through verse 20. Follow along with me. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. You know, that's a phrase in and of itself that I might spend time on in the next message, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Aren't you thankful for people that surround you that are the kind of people that refresh your spirit, who lift your spirits, who encourage your spirit? These men were those kinds of men in the life of the Apostle Paul. Verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla, two well-known names, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. I think we ought to go back to that. No, actually, I don't. I think just a handshake will do. But they were welcoming one another. 
Now, as we begin looking tonight at this particular passage of Scripture and about the Lord's work and how to do the Lord's work, I want to point out to you the, the names that were listed. Just a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, Jeremy was speaking, and he listed the names that were associated with the Apostle Paul, all the different men. You probably listened carefully, heard all of those names. Some of them maybe you hadn't heard before or didn't know very well. Others of them you knew very well. But here, Paul is listing some of those names. In verse 10, he lists Timothy. He lists, in verse 12, Apollos. In verse 15, Stephanus. He adds, in verse 17, Fortunatus and Achaicus. Then he talks about Aquila and Priscilla. And when I see all the names, and I think about him coming to the end of this letter, bringing this letter to a close, and he starts naming the names of people that have worked with him or who have helped him or that he's sent to do something and they're coming back to him or the various ways in which they have refreshed his spirit or they have blessed him, I'm reminded that the work of God is best done by many of us working side by side and helping each other. The work of God is not best done by the Lone Ranger. The work of God is best done when we're working together as a team and when we're working with one heart and one mind and we're pulling together in the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul has all of these names. These are just a few of them. All of these names of all of these people that he has worked with, some of them he won to Christ, some of them he's discipled, some of them he's trained in the ministry, some he's sent, like Timothy, to pastor churches, some of them he's worked side by side as a tent maker, uh, some of them are people who have been there and brought him important things that he needed to lift his spirits. They've been there for him. The work of God is so vitally important, and the work of God requires more than a lone ranger. The work of God requires all of us pulling together. I especially appreciate when people help me in whatever it is I'm doing. I'm not very good at doing things by myself. Are you? Are you? I don't like doing things by myself. I, I like people to join me by my side and go with me and say, here, I'll jump in and help you, Pastor. I like for people to do that. I like to know that there's somebody else that's with me and helping me, and you probably feel exactly the same way. And the Apostle Paul had one occasion when he said there was no one standing with him, but he said the Lord stood with me. But how much better is it if we would just be the kind of people that in addition to the Lord, who is the ultimate, who stands with us, that we would work together in the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need each other. Most of you probably know I'm not really good with my hands and with mechanical things and you know, fixing things in the house. If I'm hanging a picture, we're going to end up with four holes rather than the one where the nail needs to go. It's just, just not my thing. And over the years, my dad, uh, who's obviously now in heaven, and before his health began failing, and he couldn't, he couldn't travel to be with us, until those times, my dad would come up every year. My dad and mom would come every year. and I always looked forward to it because I saved all of the projects for when my dad was here. And I'll never forget those days that when they would get here, we started checking off those projects, one after another, checking off those projects. Dad had a lot more mechanical skill than I did. He wasn't a craftsman, but he had a lot more mechanical skill than I did, had done more of those kind of things than I had ever done. 
And I loved working with him side by side. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, some of the greatest memories that I have are those moments that Dad and I were painting something or nailing something or repairing something or fixing something or adding something, and we were working side by side. And I felt my dad's love because he was here helping me to do the things that needed to be done. I can tell you that I still feel that way to this day. When there are people who jump in and say, here, Pastor, let me help, I feel loved. And when I jump in and help you or others jump in and help you, you feel loved, don't you? And the Apostle Paul had these men in his life, many more than what are listed here. And all of them are people that as he comes to the end of this letter, he remembers and he's reminding us that we need each other. We need to work together. We need to help one another. Now, there's four things out of this particular passage of Scripture that I want to talk to you about related to the Lord's work. Obviously, you need people. You need people coming together and working at your side, refreshing your spirit, lifting your spirit, helping you to get the task done, letting you know that you're loved and you're not working alone. The first is this. The Lord's work is to be led by Him. The Lord's work is to be led by Him. If you look back to verses 5 to 7, you'll notice a couple of things. Paul is talking about travel. He wants to come to them in Macedonia, but he's not going to come right now. But when he comes, he wants to be able to come, and he wants to be able to stay for as long as he possibly can, maybe even be there for an entire winter. But then he gets down into verse 7, and at the end of verse 7, he, he prefaces it at all. He says, if the Lord permits, if the Lord permits. In other words, everything that the Apostle Paul saw himself doing was something that he saw being done under the leadership of the Spirit of God in his life. And the Lord's work is a work that has to be done, and it has to be led by God. It is if the Lord wills. As a matter of fact, you might just think of it in these terms. Paul's plans were most often written in pencil and not in ink. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the difference between writing something in pencil and writing something in ink? When I'm writing something that I think might possibly change, I write it in pencil. If I'm writing something that I know can't change and mustn't change, I'll write it in ink. Why do you write it in pencil? Because you can go back and you can erase it and you can make a change to it and you can make an adjustment in what you thought you were going to be doing in those moments. In other words, the Apostle Paul is telling us at the end of this epistle, all of these people come together to help me and I'm looking forward to coming back to you in Macedonia and I'm looking forward to spending a whole winter with you if the Lord permits. And Paul lived his life seeking to be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, yeah, take, a, take a moment with me and just turn back to Acts chapter 16. And just listen to a moment, uh, to a few moments of Paul's travels. And you will see what I'm talking about, the leadership of the Spirit of God in the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 16. Notice in verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, here it comes, we're going to have to pencil this in, 
They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. In other words, God's got something else for them to do. They intend to go to Asia, but that's not where the Holy Spirit wants them to go, and God's going to redirect them, verse 7. And after they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. Now, they're continuing to move. It's mostly north, sort of a northeasterly kind of a direction, but they're continuing to move, headed in a direction they think that God would have them to go, but he says, but the Spirit did not permit them, so they had to erase it again. You know, our plan was to go to Bithynia, but that that isn't what God wants. They had to erase it again. Verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, you get the picture, don't you? The Lord's work is to be led by him. It's to be according to his will. It's to be as the Lord permits And everything that we do is written, if we will, in pencil so that if we have to change it, it's no big deal to make an adjustment to our schedule because we want to go where God wants us to go. We want to be where God wants us to be, and we want to be led by God all the way. I'm glad to be able to tell you that the day you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. The Holy Spirit teaches you the Word of God. Let me just stop on this one for a moment. I believe in a seminary education. I believe in learning the languages, the original languages of the Bible. I believe in studying under great professors who have great knowledge, scholars who have knowledge that we don't have and probably have forgotten more than we do have. I believe in all of that, but I want to remind you of something. You don't have to be a scholar and you don't have to be a seminary professor to understand the word of the living God. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and the Holy Spirit can direct you into his word. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. You realize that the Holy Spirit prays for us? When we don't know what to pray, Romans chapter 8 says, we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit prays with things that we don't even understand, words that we don't even understand, but he knows what he's praying for, and he's praying for us when we don't know what to pray. You understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us as we're going from day to day. And I'm careful to say, I don't think we're talking here about, I know we're not talking about living by your emotions. Oh, I've just felt emotionally good over here. You've got to check everything by the Word of God. You've got to be discerning when it comes to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit sometimes can speak in your heart in ways that you know that it's God who's telling you to do what He wants you to do. Are you all here tonight? I know you're tired. You listened to two messages this morning, and I sort of railed on you. And now you had choir practice for two and a half hours, and now you've got to listen to me preach another 40 minutes. I know you're tired, but hear me. The Holy Spirit is, will guide us. But you know what it takes for the, the Spirit of God to guide us? We have to be listening. We have to be paying attention. We have to be drawing near. We have to be abiding in Christ. We have to be in a position. You know what the biggest problem today is? We're so distracted by so many things, and there is so much noise in our lives that the Holy Spirit, even if he were speaking, we wouldn't be able to hear him speaking. Do you have this problem? I think it's a problem for a lot of us as we get older. 
Not that I'm old. I didn't say that. I just said as we get older, if you, you ever find yourself, for instance, in a restaurant and it's noisy and you're sitting at a table with people and you're talking to them and you can't hear them? You didn't used to have that problem. You used to be able to sort of tune your ears in and you point them in the right direction, I suppose, and you, you, could, you could hear whatever the person across the table is saying to you. By the way, if you're ever sitting at a table and that's a lot of noise in the background and I'm looking at you and I'm smiling at you and I'm saying yes and you're saying, you know, uh, should I, should, should I uh, end my life today or not? You know, it, it, and I'm saying, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a pretty good indicator that I can't hear. That's a pretty good indicator that I have no idea what you're saying. There's too much background noise. Do you realize why we don't hear the leadership of the Spirit of God? It's because there's too much background noise. Sometimes we just need to turn the television off. We need to turn the radio off. Even if it's Christian radio, we need to turn the radio off. We need to turn all the other distractions off. Turn off the social media. All you're going to find on social media are people who are upset about the the bowl series that's coming, or not the bowl series, the uh, playoff series that's coming, and what four teams got chose for it, chosen for it. And one of them wasn't Georgia. <laughs> that's all you're going to find. Sometimes you just have to turn it off. You know why? Because most often God speaks in a still, small voice. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21 says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Your ears shall hear from behind you. You know, sometimes we're so distracted by all of the things that are before us and all of the noise that's going on around us that we can't hear the Spirit of God that's speaking from behind us. You remember Elijah? He came down from the mountain. He had this great duel with the prophets of Baal. And showed the one true God. Jezebel threatens him and he runs off. And you find him in a cave and there are these dramatic things with wind and the things that are happening that are dramatic. And you would think God is speaking in these dramatic ways. And then it's the still, small voice. I don't know how Paul knew that the plan he had to go to Bithynia or the plan that he had to go to Asia was something that needed to be erased and he needed to be open to go the next place or in a different direction. I don't know exactly how the voice of God was speaking to him, but I'm telling you, the Lord's work is to be led by God, is to be led by him. It's not appropriate for us to be a people who are just functioning out of the mechanism of the business world. We are to be a people that are functioning according to the leadership of the Spirit of God. And the Lord's work is to be led by Him. Secondly, the Lord's work is technically going through open doors. The Lord's work is going through open doors. Look down again at verse 9 for a moment and notice. Remember, he's talking about all these people that have been helping him, and he's commending them and uh, encouraging them and saying, receive this one and send this one back to me, and they're sending greetings to you. All these people are surrounding me. All of them are helping me, and we're all seeking to be led by the Spirit of God. But then he comes down here in verse 9, and he says, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. 
The Lord's work is not only about being led by the Spirit of God. The Lord's work is about going through open doors. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? Paul is in the city of Ephesus. Uh, He's working there in the city of Ephesus. He's ministering there in the city of Ephesus. I don't know if you know much about the difference between Corinth and Ephesus. Both of them had great, a great deal of wickedness in, in either of the two cities. But Corinth was a much, much smaller city than Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was at the crossroads of a lot of important things that were taking place, a lot of roads that came and passed through. Uh, The city of Ephesus was estimated to be approximately 250,000 people. Uh, Corinth is a much, much smaller city. Uh, Think about Barbersville as compared to to maybe New York or to Atlanta. Uh, Corinth is a much smaller place than is Ephesus. And Ephesus is right at the heart of everything that's going on and being there because of the people coming and going from all of the different places gives him exposure to a lot of people that he wouldn't have if he were in some other particular city. We know that the city was about 250,000 people because in that day they built their arenas to seat one-tenth of the city's population. And what's the size of the arena in Ephesus? It would seat about 25,000 people. That means that there were about 250,000 people who lived in this place. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, I'd I'd like to come to you now. I'd I'd really like to come to you now. And I'm going to come. I'm going to come and I'm going to stay a winter with you. That's my plan. That's what I got penciled in. This is where I'm going to go if the Lord allows me to do this. But I got news for you. I can't come right now because God is doing something right here and the door is open. Do you know sometimes the way you find God's will is you just walk through the open door? You just walk through the open door. I know preachers that are great visionaries. They can see the future and they can paint this picture of the future. I've never been that person. I wish I could be that person. I wish I could tell you 10 years down the road what we're going to be doing. I've never been able to do that. But I can tell you what we can do and what we have tried to do, and that is every time you see an open door, you head toward that door, and you walk through that door, and unless the Lord closes that door, you assume that the Lord's will is for you to go through that open door. If God has placed before you a great door of opportunity, it may well be that that's exactly the will of God for your life, that you would simply walk through the door. And you do understand that open doors don't always stay open. When the door is open, you go through the door because it's possible that God will shut the door at some point. And you will have missed the opportunity. You will have missed the opportunity to impact a lot of other people as well as your own life be impacted. So you walk through open doors. And trust me, I have missed some open doors because I was too afraid and too scared to walk through that door and find out what was on the other side. It was right in front of me, but I didn't know. I couldn't control what was on the other side of that door. I could control what was on this side of the door, and I was afraid to go through that door. But thank God that hasn't always been the case. So how in the world did you get to a church in West Virginia? Well, just like this. One night I was sleeping. And an angel came to my room, and the angel poked me on the shoulder, said, David, 
David. And I ran in the next room and I asked my dad, you want me? You want me? You, you, you realize I'm taking a little bit of an Old Testament story? And so I went back into my bedroom and I went back to sleep and the angel came back and said, David, David, David. And I went in the bedroom and said, Dad, are you asking for me? Eh, no, son, go back to sleep. And finally, Dad says, hey, just, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. And the angel tapped me again, and I woke up, and he said, David, West Virginia is almost heaven. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any closer to heaven than West, I mean, the actual heaven. You can't get any closer to it than West Virginia. It's almost heaven. I mean, Atlanta is almost hell. I'm, I'm not kidding. The crime rate, the evil and the wickedness and the ungodliness, as it is in any big city. He said, West Virginia is where you ought to be. So I started singing uh, uh, Country Roads. There you go. I don't, I don't know the name of the song, but I started singing it. You know how I knew to come to West Virginia? An evangelist that I knew who his daughter was in my youth program asked me one day, do you ever want a pastor? And I said, I sure would. If you're ever at a church and you see that I might be the right person for that church, put my name in and ask them to give me a call. I'd already preached to two other churches. They didn't want me. I've been rejected. Uh, put my name in. Unfortunately, you got the reject. Put, put, put your name in. Put, put my name in, and you know what? It wasn't but a few, a few weeks later they called me. And, and the door opened. The church voted to call you, not 100%. The other people that didn't vote for me were all wrong, but they didn't all vote for me. But the, the, the church issued a call. You can come to West Virginia. You know how I knew God's will? I just got up and started moving toward the open door. That's how God leads many times. God just opens a door before us, and we walk through that door. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that Henry Blackaby, who talked about experiencing God and you know, that deep walk with God, he said on one occasion that it's not so much God that God wants, uh, it's not so much God, what's your will for me? It's not so much God, what's your will for me? It's find where God is working and join him there. You follow the difference? Let me say it again. I sort of messed it up. It's not so much, God, what's your will for me? It's find where God is working and join him there. Why do I think every person in the city of Huntington and Barbersville and Proctorville and Ashland ought to be coming to Lewis Memorial Baptist Church because God is working here? I can't figure out why you stay at a place that's dead. And the Spirit of God hadn't worked for decades and nobody's ever being saved, and there are no people growing in the Lord, and there are no children, and there are no young people or teenagers anywhere. I can't figure out why you stay and sacrifice your kids in the process. I can say that to you. I couldn't say that on Sunday morning if I'd been preaching this. I don't understand why they do that. Find where God's at work and go join him in the work. Go through that open door. One of the ways you know that God is at work is there's an open door before you and you walk through it. And that's mostly how God has led our church over the last 41 years. You find open doors and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk through that door. That's obviously where you want us to be. 
In the occasions where we missed going through a door, I was too dumb to walk through the door, too afraid to walk through the door. I've had to ask God to forgive me, but when God puts a door before you, you walk through it. Because the Lord's work is not just about the leadership of the Lord. The Lord's work is about going through open doors. By the way, when you walk through an open door, another way that you can almost always know that you're doing the Lord's work is that you're met with opposition on the other side of the door. I don't like that. I've never been comfortable with that. I'm a non-confrontational. My preaching doesn't sound like it, but on a person-to-person basis, I'm a non-confrontational person. Would anybody give me an amen to that? So I now know who really loves me and who's really standing with me. I don't really like controversy. I avoid it like the plague if I possibly can. It's just not my, my, my cup of tea. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> that might not be a good way to put it, but that's what I am. I prefer to love people. But I got news for you. When you walk through an open door where God has led you, where the Spirit of God is taking you, it's not unusual that on the other side of that open door that you're going to meet the enemy who opposes you. Now, take your Bible again and turn back with me for a moment back to Acts chapter 19. Where is the Apostle Paul? He's in Ephesus. He says there's this huge open door before him. And I want to read you a little bit of what was going on in the city of Ephesus. In the midst of all of this open door opportunity that's before him, listen to what he says. Acts chapter 19, Uh, let's start in verse 22. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. Do you know Christianity used to be called the way? For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. In other words, people converting to Jesus Christ has hurt their bottom line. Verse 27, so not only in this trade of ours Not only is this trade of ours in danger of of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So they can't get Paul, but they get two of his travel companions. Verse 30, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. No, Paul. Paul wants to go in and speak to them. He wants to go in and address them. Hey, that's boldness. These people, for, these people are there for his head. They won't let him go in. Verse 31, then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Oh, man. That's, most of the people marching through the streets have no idea what they're even talking about or what they're marching for. 
Verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people when they found out that he was a Jew. All with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the story goes on. You would be wrong. So listen to me. Leadership, listen to me. You would be wrong if you assumed that wherever God led us through a given open door, that what we should meet on the other side is perfect peace and perfect calm. Because the reality is when you follow the Lord and you follow the Spirit of the Lord and you walk through the open doors that God puts before you, it's not uncommon that what you end up facing on the other side of that door is an enemy who wants to stop you from accomplishing whatever it is God has for you to do. Number three, the Lord's work must be done in love. It must be led by the Spirit of God. The Lord's work is about going through open doors, but the Lord's work must be done in love. Look at verses 13 and 14. I like to preach in all these phrases. As a matter of fact, I've left so much on the table that could have been preached. But verse 13, he says to them, watch, stay awake, stay alert, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Well, we need to say that to our young men, our young women, right? Amen? Be brave, be strong, stand fast in the faith, stay alert. Let all that you do, that all that you do be done with what? Love. Let everything that you do be done with love. Can I just say it to you that, that love is not this squishy kind of a thing that just has no boundaries to it and lets you do anything and go anywhere. You know, uh, when I was growing up, we would go over to, to my parents. My dad taught a Sunday school class, and we'd go over to some of his friends. They lived uh, up in Decatur, Georgia. And his house was two houses down from a major intersection. And this man would always kid me. I, was, I mean, I'm talking about this age. The man would always kid me. He'd say, hey, David, David, why don't you go up there and play under the stoplight? Why don't you go up there and play under the traffic signal? He was always kidding. He never meant that, I don't think. <laughs> go up there and play under the traffic civil, the signal, David. In other words... Would you get out of our presence? Go in another room. We're talking. Your parents and I are talking. Leave us alone. Uh, if you saw your children headed toward uh, a traffic signal, going to play in the middle of the street, would it be the loving thing for you to do to just sort of, oh, they're expressing themselves? <laughs> we want to give them freedom. We want to make sure not to quash their spirit. We've got to make sure that they understand that they can be anything that they want to be, and we want to uh, avail them of that opportunity. I know it's dangerous, but we've got to give them the right to do so. You don't deserve to have those children. Somebody ought to take them away, and they ought to be adopted into another family. Love sometimes says, stop it. Sometimes love is very squishy and mushy and, you know, feely. When he's talking about love here, he's not talking about that kind of love. There's anything goes, anything. I love you so you can do whatever you want. As a matter of fact, the best way to understand love is to understand Jesus. 
Jesus was a mixture, according to John chapter 1, verse 14, he was a perfect mixture of what? Grace and truth. He was a perfect mixture. If you love people, you're going to be a mixture of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Uh, was Jesus not 100% grace, and was he not 100% truth? Absolutely, he was. Think, think of it this way. I was thinking about how to, how to illustrate this. How many of you like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Okay. You got a sandwich to just peanut butter? Eh, it's okay. You got a sandwich that's got just jelly on it? Mm, probably not going to. How many of you like jelly sandwiches? Okay, there are some people that like jelly sandwiches. Obviously, they were in the choir and they went home. <laughs> jelly sandwiches, peanut butter sandwiches. But wait a minute, that all-American sandwich that everybody loves is when you take the peanut butter and you take the jelly and you stick them together. That's love. You take grace and you take truth and you put them together. Sometimes you're extending this magnanimous graciousness and other times you're confronting somebody with the truth that can be painful even at times that's what he's talking about let everything be done in love i don't know where this idea of love just express yourself and be whatever you want and don't anybody correct me i get to be whatever i like just sort of you know you remember uh uh tiptoe through the tulips what was his name uh Tiny Tim, you remember Tiny Tim playing his little ukulele? Tiptoe through the... T the young people are all saying, what? What, Tiny Tim? He wasn't tiny, he was big. Tiptoe through the tulips, you know. It, it, we think somehow, just be yourself, just do it. Don't speak any truth, that's not love. But if you're all truth and no grace, then you're harsh. And if you're all grace and no truth, then there are no boundaries. There's no way for people to know. It, listen, if you're, all, if you're all grace and no truth in your family, your kids don't know whether you love them or not. Because boundaries tell your children you love them. The fact that you won't let them do some things and you'll go to war over some of those things says to them, as much as they fight against it, my parents love me. My parents love me enough to tell me no sometimes. And love is a mixture of grace in truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Ephesians 4.15 says we're to speak the truth in love. And let me finish. It's just like Sunday morning. I can't get through anything. Finally, the Lord's work is laboring with all your strength. The Lord's work is being led by the Spirit. The Lord's work is walking through open doors. The, love's work, the, the Lord's work is, being, is work that's being done in love. Grace and truth married together, uh, loving others. But the Lord's work is laboring with all your strength. Go back for a moment to verses 15 and 16. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that it's the first fruits of Achaia, and that they devoted, there it is, they devoted there it is. They devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works. There's another word. Devoted, works, here it comes. Watch it. And labors, they labor with us. 
Oh, man, we have become such a soft church. I don't mean our church specifically. I'm talking about the church in general. We want to find an easier way to do everything when sometimes the only way you can do it is just put your nose to the grind and press forward. Just work at it. Just labor for it. The word literally means hard work, to feel fatigue, to to be wearied. I've laughed a lot of times at people who say, but you preachers just work on Sundays and Wednesdays. And I laugh it off like everybody else does when oftentimes, not always, but sometimes it's offensive because I know what I did the week before and you have no idea what I did the week before. And these other pastors, you think, "Mm, what do they do all day? I don't know. What do you do all day? What do you do all day? Let's Let's just put our schedules together. Let's see whose schedule has the busiest schedule. The ministry is a place of hard work. Do I believe that you can be in the ministry and the ministry become a place of laziness? Absolutely. But you know what you'll find about those churches where they got lazy, a lazy pastor? You'll find the church that isn't doing anything or going anywhere. When you're doing something and going somewhere, you got a bunch of people that are pulling together who understand you got to be devoted to it. you got to work for it. you got to labor in it. you got to be willing to sweat. Or for you ladies, be willing to glisten. The Christian ministry is work. It's work. We're not supposed to just make this world a better place from which the people, these people can go to hell. We're supposed to be working hard to reach them with the gospel. Is that going to mean your schedule gets changed? Yeah, yeah, that's what it's going to mean. Does that mean I'm going to have to give up some free time? Yeah, that's what it's going to mean. You say, well, that's just for the page staff. No, 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 no. The page staff is going to give up their time too. But that's all of us. Do you realize all of us are in the ministry? Every one of us are in the ministry. Every one of us, all of you are in the ministry. Your job is different than my job. I understand that. But we're all in the ministry and we're not supposed to just be making things a little better. You know, this is, pluff, this is to fluff up the pillows a little bit here. This, we want people to be as comfortable as they could possibly be. We're supposed to be willing to do whatever it takes to get the work of God done. You realize the first century church would never have done what they accomplished had it, had it been filled with a bunch of lazy people. God wants us to work. Dear friends, we're headed out of 2020, what's this year? 2023, and we're headed into 2024. And there's a lot of work to be done. And I wonder, how many of you are going to join me? And say, come on, Pastor, you don't have to be out there by yourself. We're going to go together. Going to see these other pastors. Going to see the life group leaders going to see our deacons. You're going to see people serving in other capacities in this ministry and say, you don't have to do this alone anymore. I'm going to be right there by your side. Matter of fact, my love language is service. When you do something with me and for me, I feel like I'm loved. When you don't do something with me, I don't think you love me very, very much. So I just gave you a personal insight. Keep your presence. I don't need your presence. Come help me. 
Come stand with me. Come walk with me. Come work with me. Come hold the nail so I don't have to replace it four times. Come assist me. We're supposed to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Isn't that what verse 58 of chapter 15 said? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Here it comes. Always, what? Abounding in this labor, this struggle, in the work of the Lord. Abounding. Our church can never sit back on its haunches and say, we got enough people, there's enough children downstairs, there's enough teenagers, there's enough college students, there's enough married people, there's enough singles here. We got enough. We don't need to open up any more spaces, don't build any more parking lots, don't build any more buildings. Let's not do anything else. Let's just coast. We can't do that. We have to always abound in the work of the Lord. You name me one other church in the last 30 years that's built the number of buildings and bought the number of properties that this church has built and bought. So why do we do that? Because there's a great work to be done and there's an open door. And until God leads me somewhere else or leads me to heaven or I'm too old to get out of the bed to get over here, I plan for us to abound in the work of the Lord and go through those open doors and find people that are like Stephanus and Fortunatus and these other men, Achaicus and Apollos and Aquila and Priscilla and Timothy. Find the people that will come and say, let's go work. I'm tired, preacher. I come home tired. I go home tired too. God's got a great thing for us to accomplish. Let's go do it together. Amen.